This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Hello ladies and gents and welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host Chris Simpson, and joining me as always is Carthus Thistlethwaite. Hello. And we've got a special treat for you this week, listeners. We spoke to Brentford fan Chris Scott about the 3 all draw between the Magpies and the Bees, and featuring a special guest appearance from Isla Scott, who is an absolute Brentford obsessive, who's had a season ticket since the age of four. So we hope you enjoy, listeners. Take it away, Chris. Okay, and joining us today is Chris Scott, a Brentford fan. Thanks for being here, Chris. It's, it's great to have you on, great to have another sort of fan's perspective on the show. And, you know, Brentford, you, you've been through sort of a lot in recent years. Obviously, you had that sort of championship, you, you had that promotion, heartbreak in 2020, you know, just missing out on the playoffs. Uh, sorry, just missing out on automatic promotion. And then obviously, then losing to Fulham in the playoffs. Been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you can relate, can't you, as a Leicester fan? Yeah, multiple times. <laughs> and then, of course, then last season you get the you get to the playoffs again, and this time, obviously, you come through against Swansea, and then you've had a great start to the season. How, how's the last couple of years been as a Brentford fan? Sure, it, it, it's one of those weird things with the benefit of hindsight. You're actually a little. You never say you're grateful to lose a playoff final to Fulham, but. To have lost in an empty stadium, as opposed to winning when you're being there, and then to have had, you know, our sort of first season in the Premier League would have been pretty much completely behind closed doors. Actually, it's probably worked out. It's, in hindsight, it's worked out quite well to do it this way. So, yeah, it, being at Wembley, even the sort of slightly surreal Wembley with I don't know, when it was eight, ten thousand people in it, so you know, cavernous and empty. It was still, you know, a fantastic day, and obviously, you know, it's. It, it's slightly surreal experience, you know. We we sort of took a break uh, with a fantastic performance beating Sheffield Wednesday at Griffin Park, and I remember on that day having you know we sort of stayed a bit later, took some photos, but just had that nagging feeling it was going to be the last time we got in there. And then you sort of you you, you sort of step away from being in basically a Victorian football stadium with the kind of facilities you expect. <laughs> that go with it to sort of stepping into this surreal modern arena you get a lift up to the seats if you need it you you know children can actually use the toilets without fearing for their sanity <laughs> it's good it's very unusual it is a little bit unreal though I think this season in particular we found ourselves pinching ourselves a couple of times I think the Arsenal and Liverpool games in particular they were just you know, absolutely wild yeah. in the I've really enjoyed actually having Brentford in the Premier League. It's nice to see like a team that's come up and then just taking it straight to them. As you say, Liverpool and Arsenal matches were, were fantastic. And I think they've done really well. I know they've la- lost their last four games in a row, apart from this one, which was obviously a draw. Um, but I feel like every match, you can, unlike Newcastle, um, you can kind of feel like you know Brentford have actually played rather than they've just collapsed. Yeah, I mean, we, we weren't great at Burnley. I think yeah. it would be fair to say. And... Um, I, it's a weird one because you know, so certainly the Chelsea and the Leicester games I thought we deserved something out of them mm. when at the end of the Chelsea game how we didn't score I will never understand <laughs> for the life of me um, 
But you know, it, it is one of those things where you, know, you have to be a little bit objective and sort of remember there are you know, there aren't points for artistic merit, and you know, you accept that in a low-scoring sport, if you talk to Brentford fans, we're all now totally versed in the uh, metrics of understanding <laughs> it's a low-scoring or randomness goes through so you look at the underlying performances you're a better indicator of actually where you are and you know the underlying performance is good still and yeah. it just happens you get randomness you, know, you take a Leicester game you're, when you've been in the championship you're not used to having a player like Yuri Tielemans who's just going to whack the ball with perfect technique from the edge of the box on a loose ball so yeah things yeah. like that will happen but we just get to enjoy it anyway whatever happens really I think you're safe. I don't think you have to worry about uh, being in the relegation zone at the moment. So, you know. <laughs> I would certainly swap places with you. I mean, of course, you've obviously got three wins already. We're still waiting for our first first victory of the season. And, I mean, obviously, we've seen in recent seasons, like, you know, Leeds obviously came up, did really well. Sheffield United uh, the season before that. And then, obviously, we see Brentford have such a good start to the season. As we said, I know... The, maybe not the performances, because as I said, I think you've, you've probably been better than those four defeats have suggested, but certainly the um, the results obviously have tailed off a little bit, but I think we could still see Brentford go on and obviously have a really good season. Obviously, you've stopped the rot now with those defeats, with this draw against Newcastle. Um, I think, where do you think that you might finish at this stage? Like, and, and it's still quite early, sort of, yeah. you know... I, I think the players back so uh, without sort of jumping to yesterday's game I think you know, we've also got players who've stepped in you know, we had uh, Mads Roslev who's a Danish under 21 right back making his Premier League debut as a centre back yesterday to mm-hmm. fill in the gaps then. so I think you know, if we have players like we've got sort of some long term injuries with people like David Ray the goalkeeper uh, Chris Grier who joined from Celtic in the summer I think if we have players like them back then I, I think we can do pretty well. I think the challenge for us, and I think it's the challenge for a lot of clubs that come through the divisions, is you know, we don't have the depth of quality that other teams do. So once we start picking up injuries, and I think I don't know if it's three or four centre backs we've got injured at the moment, but mm. you know you start reaching a point where it, you do start really seeing a difference. And you know, I, I think on a couple of the goals yesterday, I think with a, with other players, in, I'd have hoped we wouldn't have conceded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a, as a Newcastle fan, obviously watching our squad kind of be neglected by Mike Ashley over the years. I think that's something I can relate to. We, we've we got a few decent players in the first team when everyone's fit. You know, your Sam Maximans and your Callum Wilsons. But there, there's not a lot of depth behind them. So again, I think yeah, injuries really with felt. And, yeah. I mean, as you said, I think uh, Ivan Tony's goal for the first one I think Carl Darlow did not cover himself in glory. It's it's fair to say there. And it was a good goal, though. Really. It was good play, especially after just conceding. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, I mean, obviously, I, Ivan Tony, we let him go to Peterborough, and then of course you guys bought him from there. It's again a bit of a source of frustration for me. Again, just us letting yet another sort of really quite promising prospect go for basically nothing, and then there. I was with you as well, wasn't he? He's gone to from Blackburn to Southampton. Yeah, so we had Adam Armstrong, we had Ivan Tony. We've both basically yeah. let both of them go for, <laughs> for very little, and now they're sort of doing it in the Premier League, being quite impressive. I think Ivan Tony, especially, has has really impressed me. Um, That's two seasons actually, because he what thirty one goals last season for Tony. Yes. Yeah. So 
fairly decent haul. Yeah. And, and we've been kind of mucking about. I mean, obviously, uh, Callum Wilson, I think, is a really good player when it, when he's actually on the pitch and he's a little bit injury prone. But beyond that, I mean, we've had Dwight Gale, who, again, decent championship striker, but clearly not up to it, I think, in the Premier League. And we've and then we had uh, half fit Andy Carroll, who would make he would literally come on for about two minutes here and three minutes there. So I think we, yeah, I would have loved it if we'd have actually kept Ivan Tony, to be honest. But we spoke about it before, though Newcastle's lack of investment in the youth team. And yeah. just, they just don't bother building up a player; they just have them, they sell them on. But I mean, it, it was nice in the first ten minutes, like to see Lascelles actually do something and Richie getting involved as well. Yeah, and, and obviously it's, it's it's basically the spine of the team that came up from the championship, isn't it? Yeah, and I think again that's part of the problem. Is I mean, I think Lascelles is a decent player. He's certainly, I mean, he's not like a he's not a perfect defender, you know. But I, th- I think as we saw under Rafa Benitez, with that with a good defensive coach, I think he can be a good player. But yeah, exactly, it is that sort of championship spine kind of running. Through the team, a little. I mean, improved a little bit here and there with adding Joe Willock in the summer, and and Wilson's come in. But yeah, there's a lot, especially in the defence, and and I said in that sort of spine, there's a lot of championship players that we haven't quite sort of moved on from yet. So that's something that we'll hopefully be able to address now, sort of moving forward. Maybe but, you'll buy Ivan back. <laughs> I mean, if we do, we'll cost a lot more than we sold him for to Peterborough. I think. Um, but, I mean, it was great. It was great breakaway play for that for that first goal for Brentford, and then obviously um, the thirty first minute as well. Was it Henry? Uh, Rico Henry, Henry as well. Henry scored the second one. Because uh, yeah, I mean, we we were following the match, and yeah, just had that just that briefest moment at one 0 where I was happy. Yeah, so basically, and then I was quickly <laughs> stuffed out, and then yeah, we were out. We were out at a, having a meal in a pub or something, and then. It was just a, a minute. Oh, yes, we scored a goal, and then five minutes later, just a five minutes pushed away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it typified the game how much Rico's goal. Um, so, you, not quite a carbon copy because there were right foot, left foot shots, and volleys and headers. But it was the, you know, your third versus our second. They were all sort of same area of the pitch. Balls past defenders for the player running in untracked. And it, yeah. I, I think in a way that kind of typifies you. Know, it was two teams who were a little bit better going forward than trying to defend yesterday. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, I mean, it was a great cross, though. It really was a great yeah. cross. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were some good, some good balls played into the box yesterday. And that, yeah, I think that's the thing with us. I think you could see Eddie Howe's impact. Obviously, he wasn't in the dugout because he tested positive for coronavirus on Friday. But you know, he's had a couple of weeks on the training ground over the international break. And you could certainly see, I think, we were a lot more attacking and a bit more positive trying to play a bit more on the front foot than we than we were under Steve Bruce and and then Graham Jones. But there was problems at the back. I mean I think you I mean you just sort of tore us open a few times really and I mean obviously it was a, a really exciting game, proper end to end stuff, but as you said, definitely we're a bit porous at the back. I mean we've well, twenty seven goals we've conceded now in twelve games, still waiting from our first clean sheet, <laughs> uh, which is a little bit worrying. I mean, you're missing Dubravka still, which is massive because... Yeah, I mean, I, I think if he'd have been in goal, I think he probably would have dealt with the Ivan Tony one. Um, I think we've, we have missed him a lot this season. I mean, he's he's been on the bench the last couple of games, so I'm hoping that 
maybe against Arsenal next week he'll he'll get the nod and he'll be fit enough to start. But um, again, I sort of going back to that lack of depth. It's you know a couple of injuries to key players and the, the as you said that that lack of depth is really exposed. What happened to Freddie Woodman when you tried him? Because he, he obviously was Swansea last year and, you know, we got to enjoy his final performance in the playoff final. Which is good. <laughs> um, well, did, have you actually tried him this season? Yeah, so actually uh, the, the first three or four games of the season, Darla was also injured. So we actually had to rely on Woodman. And I was quite excited to actually sort of see him in action in the Premier League. Um, and... He, I mean, obviously, we didn't keep in the sort of four games he played. We didn't keep a clean sheet. Um, I think he was a, a he was a bit unlucky in a couple of them because I felt like those early performances of the season, I felt like we did play quite well and again maybe didn't quite get the results we deserved. I think he was in in the first, in the very opening game against West Ham. There was where we we went two one up. I think we were two one up at half time and then we collapsed. I think we lost four two in the second half. But it all started. Um, when we gave a penalty away, I think Woodman saved it. And then I think it was Matt Ritchie who was just completely asleep on the rebound and just mm-hmm. let, I can't remember who it was now, but whichever West Ham player it was, just running and sort of tap it in. And I felt really bad for Woodman because he'd, you know, he'd kept it out. He'd, he'd, he'd played well. And then, and then I said, then we go on and just collapse. And yeah, so he, he, I think he, he was kind of thrown in, in the deep end a little bit. As I say, he does not get a lot of protection. <laughs> Um, yeah. from this defence, this sort of championship defence that's that's in front of him. And then then eventually, yeah, then Darlow came back and he was he sort of just gone back uh, to sort of not being used anymore, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but definitely, yeah, we need Dubravka back as soon as possible, I think, because he is, in my opinion, one of the better goalkeepers in the Premier League. I mean, again, he's not perfect, but I would probably put him in the top half of sort of Premier League goalkeepers. Um, I mean, it, I, I don't think that will necessarily be enough to get us a result against <laughs> Arsenal next week. Um, no. But long term, if we are, if we're going to have any chance of staying up, and I think those odds are stacked against us now. I mean, even if we do go on a bit of a spending spree in January, I mean, how many? Yeah, so we still haven't won a game yet, so <laughs> we might be we might be too adrift that even a bit of a spending spree might not help us too much. Um, but yeah. if we are going to have a chance of staying up, we do need to Bravka back in the team. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame about Woodman because I was excited to see him and just, yeah, a little bit of a shame as they just sort of thrown in at the deep end the way he was and with no protection because I would like to see him given another chance, but maybe maybe when, thing, maybe when we're a little bit stronger at the back as well and maybe when there's a bit less pressure on him yeah. to, to perform because I think he does have potential. I think, I mean, I, I thought your prospects depend pretty much entirely on what happens in January now. Because, I mean, uh, you, we will remember the Bournemouth teams, even when they stayed up, they weren't renowned for being the most defensively solid. Mm, I think yeah. we could probably safely say. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of, it's, in a way, it's kind of fascinating what happens because you. The, you always sort of go through these sort of development curve phases when you have these takeovers at clubs and you remember the sort of ridiculous last minute Rubinho signings yeah. and things like this where you, you just then slot them into a team of other players who are not on anything like the same wavelength. So, I mean, I suppose it's going to be a case of is it sort of bringing in players who can really sort of dig in and help from the start or is it... You know, 
there's kind of like I don't know, it's like a tipping point. You almost need two players at once to agree to join good mm. and know that others are coming in too. Otherwise, you just basically who will just take a ton of money to have a go at it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think as you said, uh, in terms of that, I mean, that was the thing I thought with, with the Eddie Howe appointment. I was excited because I think he is a, he's a good young coach. I think the fact that he kept Bournemouth in the Premier League for four seasons before they finally went down, I think is quite a remarkable achievement and they did play some good football. On the other hand, as you said, they were not particularly solid at the back and obviously quite different from Unai Emery, who of course was linked before we then went with Eddie Howe, who would have been a, a bit more sort of defensively minded. And certainly the defensive side is where we're definitely the weakest at the moment and I think that's definitely an area we need to target in January when we do go and buy players. But it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, as I said, I mean you could certainly see some impact on us going forward yesterday from from yeah. Eddie Howe, and, and the approach was a lot more positive. But at the back, we were still just as vulnerable. I mean, there was you were a little bit unlucky. So again, as you were talking about before, uh, Chris, that there was the you know, the unlucky goals against Brentford in some of their matches. And there was a lucky one for you, I suppose, with the deflected go- uh, shot. I mean, it was pretty wide. And obviously, Lascelles had to get involved uh, <laughs> and uh, deflected in. So that, you know, that was, you know, an unlucky or lucky, depending on what side <laughs> you're sitting on, um, consequence. But yeah, I mean, it shouldn't really have been able to get a shot. I feel like the defence should have come in. Um, but it was still nice to see just people having a pop, because I don't think we see that often enough. I don't think you see sh- uh, strikers just having a shot at any given opportunity, because literally anything can happen. Yeah, so. yeah, it's one of those things, I think. Yes, I, th- I think, obviously, from, from our perspective, obviously, that uh, any sort of own goal like that is, is quite unlucky. But on the other hand, sort of, you know, letting teams get in the position where they can do that, that all starts from you know not being as organised as you could be at the back, not closing people down as quickly as you could, and that's something we're definitely going to have to improve on in the next six months if we're going to have any chance of staying up. I mean, if we if we do go down, I am fairly confident we can bounce back. I mean, Eddie Howe obviously has experience of the championship, and we've done it twice before um, since Mike Ashley took over because he got us relegated twice. Um, which I'm not still bitter about um, but I mean to be honest in, in some ways I, I would be more confident of us bouncing straight back now than I actually was the previous two times when we did actually do it if that makes sense um, yeah that said obviously I'd still prefer if we can avoid having to do that but I, I mean I imagine quite a few fans would probably find it amusing if we went down I mean where, where do you sort of where, where have you sort of sat on on the whole, you know, the Saudis coming in at Newcastle, you know, as a, as a, a fan of a, another Premier League team? What's your sort of take of it, Ben? I, I mean, personally, I consider rather like Spurs getting rid of Nuno before they play as United getting rid of Solskjaer before they play as, and you guys getting rid of Bruce before you play as. I mean, I consider that to be tantamount to cheating. So, <laughs> I think everyone should be required to keep their managers in post until they played us at least once. So. <laughs> I mean, that would be my one rule change for football. I mean, the Saudi one's a weird one because, you know, we're in a country where it's perfectly legitimate for us to sell planes and military armaments to the Saudi government mm-hmm. and, you know, that that's permissible and approved of, whereas, you know, we sort of get the, the controversy, for want of a better word, over 
basically Saudi backed entities acquiring sports clubs here. So I, yeah, I, I don't think it's really going to be a case of sports washing in the sense of people you know, saying, well, you bought a club just to you know protect you from something or another because there's nothing happening with Saudi. They're sort of, yeah, it, they're sort of a partner to progress in those things. But it, but it is difficult. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think the phrase I think I heard on one of your previous podcasts was you'd have rather someone else had been there to pony up the money instead. But I think when we're in this sort of realm of where the Premier League is, unless there are rules around who can buy clubs and what the sort of nature of overseas ownership is allowed, then there's not really a, there's only so much you can say in terms of individual clubs taking the money and being run that way. So uh, it, it, suboptimal, but I, 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 I don't know how far you can take it doing something different about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's difficult because, I mean, to buy a Premier League club these days, you have to have so much money. I mean, again, in, in this case, the Newcastle uh, takeover, I think it was £305 million they paid. But then, of course, on top of that, to then go and invest in, and run the club, well, to be honest, just because of the lack of investment we've had under Mike Ashley, there's going to be a fair bit of spending required just on the infrastructure and the training ground and, and the academy, just all these sort of things that have kind of fallen by the wayside just to kind of almost get us up to Premier League level, in a sense, before you then potentially then go on ahead and, you know, there's the talk of, you know, becoming like a new Man City or PSG. I mean, just to even get up to catch up to other Premier League teams, there's going to have to be a fair bit of investment required. So you've got to be a multi-billionaire to well, come in. Wasn't the club relatively profitably, though, with the way spending was done? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, well, it's... It's Ashley's, weird. Ashley's known for like running on a very tight budget, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird one. I'm, I'm never going to sit here and um, defend Mike Ashley's ownership. The one thing he has done is he has left the club in a state where it has been run profitably for the last few years, mainly by not investing in anything. <laughs> so on the one hand, that actually means that the Saudis now, are, in terms of Within still within fitting sort of financial fair play rules, there is a lot of money they can spend because they've kind of yeah. took over the club that is in in that sense quite a good position. But there's also many other ways where he has been completely sort of neglectful of just various parts of the of the club. I mean, as I say, the the, like the training ground, the the youth academy, um, all these sort of infrastructure things. I mean, I think he he didn't even like pay to have the stadium cleaned or something like the roof. Of St James's Park, you know all, all this sort of stuff, and uh, I mean we went over some of uh, some stats in a in a recent pod, uh, sort of delving into some of the numbers and just how little he's actually invested, and actually also like the the lack of commercial growth in terms of our income from that sort of thing. I can't remember the exact numbers to hand, but it was something like. Over the last 10 years, I think our commercial income had, had risen by something like 0.1%, whereas the whole Premier Leagues had risen by like 200% or something bonkers. I can't remember the exact numbers, as we did cover it in a previous pod, but it, so it was like we really didn't... I guess I said, in, in one way, he sort of left the club actually in a decent position for a new owner to come in, but in the other hand... He didn't take advantage There's also the lots time. of other ways where actually it's maybe not as optimal for a new owner coming in because they're going to have to now increase all this commercial income and revenue. Um, they're going to have to spend all this money just as they're just getting, kind of getting quite a few different aspects of the club sort of up to code as it were. 
that have kind of fallen by the wayside. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the way Ashley sort of left the club. Um, but I mean, well, at least the new owners have got enough money to do it anyway. True, and the capital expenditure stuff that's outside of FFP, so you can do the training grounds and the, the stadium. So does that mean including putting in a lift for away fans at St James? <laughs> is that something that could actually be added to the list? I mean, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Because I mean, that is. I mean, we we've done the stadium tour at St James's Park, and, and obviously we've attended yeah. games that are just up, and up in the gods, and it. It's, I mean, it's got a lot of stairs, isn't it? It's like the vertigo. It, it's when it's coming back down. You can go back up. That's fine. Like, but it's the coming down when you look down. And it's like, whoa, that, they're quite narrow stairs, and that's quite steep, and there ain't any handrails other than people. Because uh, we did that at the new camp as well, and that was quite terrifying. All I can say maybe is, like, just like a healthy skelter on the side or something. Like, charge five quid to go down that way. And, <laughs> you know, two birds, one stone. So your commercial revenues up. And you, you know, you're sort of sorted for the egress from the stadium. It's great, but there's yeah. always, always going to be that one person who thinks they can definitely do it, and they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've seen the fans. No offence to the fans in Newcastle, but, I mean, there's always a lot of white bellies. <laughs> uh, that's, honestly, that's, that's a good shout, though, I have to say. That's, uh, that could revolutionise, like, getting in and out of stadiums. Like, I just, yeah, <laughs> get on the side and boom you out. I mean, honestly, I suppose if any Premier League club was going to trial such an idea, it probably would be Newcastle United. I mean, we're we're a bit of a clown car, aren't we? As far as clubs go, but oh dear. But yeah, I mean, I think a, a point. Yes, just sort of going back to yesterday's game. I think a point probably was a fair result for both teams. Um, obviously, frustrating from a Newcastle perspective not to get our first win of the season. That wait continues. And, and probably in one of your better performances as well. And we have been gifting first wins of the season to teams of late. So, you know, it's... It could have been a Christmas <laughs> present. It could have been a Christmas present. Yeah. And I mean, especially, you know, with, with, with some of the other results we saw yesterday, obviously, because obviously we had this sort of crazy, almost sort of historic day yesterday where three managers all made their first, uh, took charge of their first games yesterday. Obviously, Aston Villa beat Brighton in Steve Gerrard's first game. Norwich beat Southampton in Dean Smith's first game. So, again, yeah. two of the teams kind of directly above us in the table. Burnley drew. Claudia yeah, still winning. So. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have to say, just as someone who isn't a Man United fan, that was very funny. And I, I wish Watford all the best because I, I do have a bit of a soft spot for Claudia Ranieri. But seeing them get a 4-1 win... To again move further away from us was quite. There's that really sort of reductive approach to looking at football where you're basically trying to think which three teams can you finish above. And I mean, it's not a phenomenon, you know, it's, it's quite a few years since we last had a relegation battle. Um, and even the last relegation battle it wasn't, wasn't so much a battle as just waiting for it to happen, um, which is obviously League One to League Two back, back in the glory days. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, things like Nor- Norwich and bringing in Dean Smith, annoyingly, we know he's a really good manager, and I kind of ordinarily want him to do well. You know, Ranieri, I don't know, 50 50 chance it'll go really, really well and they'll be in the Champions League or they'll just go straight down. <laughs> but you, you, you're sort of relying on clubs making more bad decisions so you know in terms of booking those three slots out for everyone else uh, I have a horrible suspicion that it may come down to one of our teams for the final spot mm. but we will see 
Yeah, it's it's going to be. I mean, you've been thinking that from the start. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, honestly, yes. I mean, starting the season with Steve Bruce. I mean, after last season, it was a weird one because we ended up finishing twelfth. So if you just looked at the table, you could probably think, all right, we kind of just had an average sort of season. That's kind of where they should be finishing. But then, if you actually looked at the results, we had a run in the middle of the season where we won two games out of nineteen. And how how Steve Bruce wasn't sacked then. Well, I say it's beyond me. I know, I know why. It's because he was basically Mike Ashley's yes man, to be honest. But in any other circumstance, he absolutely would have gone. And I think if we'd have had fans in the stadium kind of booing him every week, I think that also might have had a bit of an impact. And I think in some ways he kind of got away with it a bit because he didn't have to kind of face the wrath of the fans for yeah, that period last season. But there's that weird theory that clubs didn't sack managers last season because with the lack of gate money, they couldn't afford to pay them off in the way that they normally do. Um, so there was a little bit more kind of... It, it, unless you were absolutely going to go down and you were worried about the financial impact of that, you just try to trot along through it. And as you say, you don't have the uh, very loud stakeholder group letting their views be known about what's happening on the pitch. Exactly. But then again, when has that ever actually helped Newcastle? Well, I mean, We've been saying it for years to get rid of Ashley and Bruce. Well, yeah, but I mean, obviously getting rid of Ashley was a <laughs> bit of a different one, but I think it, it does have help having the fans. I mean, obviously, just generally, obviously, it's just so good to have the fans back in the stadium and so good to hear that St. James's Park atmosphere again. And I think we're going to need that because obviously everyone is going to be behind Eddie Howe when he finally gets in the dugout after he's recovered from COVID. And, you know, that is certainly going to help, again, compared with... Steve Bruce last season. I know, obviously, there weren't fans in the stadiums, but it would it would have been pretty toxic had had the fans that actually been there. So that, that there will be that going for us. But I mean, as you say, in terms of the financial impact of getting rid of them, I mean, Steve Bruce eight million pound payoff. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to get eight million pound for doing my job badly. <laughs> I'll just be getting fired. I mean, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a bad life, is it, being a football manager? <laughs> I don't crop up at someone else next season as well. It just best not be left. Oh, could you imagine if it was Man United? <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's, he's, a, he's a Man United legend, you know, he's out he's of his he, Maybe he's the <laughs> ideal replacement for Solskjaer. Who, who knows? I mean, I, I think on the Steve Bruce front, just, just quickly, actually, I mean, I, I can't see him popping back up again in the near future at a Premier League team. I, 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 like even say Norwich, I mean, obviously we know they've gone for Dean Smith, which I think actually is a really shrewd appointment. But the fact that I think Bruce would probably never have even been considered, I think is a bit of a testament to how poor a job he, he's done at Newcastle. I know he's had his defenders in the media. and I mean, I, you know, we... I'm not one of those fans who never gave him a chance. I mean, obviously, it was a bit of a step down from Rafa Benitez. I mean, there's no getting away from that. But, you know, I wasn't one of the fans who was sort of abusing him immediately and, you know, that sort of thing. I did give him a chance and, unfortunately, just it just didn't work out for him, which is a shame because, you know, he's, he's a Newcastle fan at, at heart. But it, it, it just... Just didn't work out. It, but all, all the all the... Pundits and you know commands. Like for example, again, because we finished 12th last season, I say, oh, you know, he came, he did a great job. This thing. Genuinely, I, I I can't think of a single Premier League team that would consider him. You know, if a vacancy came up. I think a lot of it comes down to the 
it, it's a tough gig because I mean, if the infrastructure and the spending and the development isn't there, then that is going to have an impact on what he can do as a manager at some point. But I, I think I mean, Benitez has obviously been okay, but beyond that, I think you guys do have a bit of a reputation for ending managers' careers. Poor Alan Pardew, wherever he is now. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, I mean, as you said, there's no getting away from it. Managing the club since Mike Ashley took charge absolutely can't have been easy for any manager, um, as you said, because of that lack of infrastructure, that lack of spending. I think what's not helped Steve Bruce is, and like like Sky uh, in particular, they seem to love comparing, like, say, Steve Bruce's record with Rafa Benitez's because they know... Um, obviously the fans have very very different feelings for those two managers but and then they'll look at the records and they'll not be actually like that different overall so they'll be like oh why did why did they hate Steve Bruce why did they love Rafa Benitez so much I think the difference was it I mean obviously as we talked about before there's definitely some championship players still very much in that first team but it really was a championship team when Rafa Benitez was in charge of it whereas Steve Bruce did have something like £160 million spent on the team over a few years, mainly out of necessity because it did get to a point where even Ashley had to dig his hands into his pockets. But, you know, um, Rafa Benitez didn't have Callum Wilson. He, he didn't have Sam Maximan. He had Almiron for about a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, like all, all these uh, sort of slightly better players that have come in, uh, Joe Willock as well, they weren't around when, when Benitez was in charge and he did get more out of, well, ultimately just a, wor- a worse crop of players, essentially. That said, as I said, Steve Bruce, he, he wasn't great circumstances. I think he will come back. I think he'll, he will manage someone in the championship. And, and he's got a good record in the championship. He's got uh, several promotions under his belt. And I think he will bring someone else up and have another crack at the Premier League. And I do wish him well, which, again, probably puts me sort of somewhat in the minority of Newcastle fans, but I, yeah, I can't say he did a great job, and and I, I am. If someone, if someone gave me an eight million quid payoff, I just travel the world watching cricket all year. I think <laughs> yeah. the idea of going into the championship, pussing off with you know, the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday schedule of games again. I just yeah, I just think enough's enough. It's time to watch cricket. Yeah, I, I think I'd be right there with you to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eight million quid that that that'll do me. I don't. I don't need that stress of managing in the championship again, but they're a funny breed, actually, football managers, aren't they? But um, actually, speaking of ending football managers' careers, one thing Cara and I, uh, we are both certain of is that at some point in the next few years, Jose Mourinho will rock up at Newcastle. Uh, Some would argue that his career is already kind of over anyway, but maybe we'll be the final nail in that coffin because... You know, I think I think the magic's gone, but I could definitely see him now that we've got money and we've got that backing. I could definitely see him in a few years' time rocking up at St James's Park. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, do you see Tommy Howe as a sort of transitional figure to the point that you guys kind of sort of get the that's well, if we sort of loosely band Mourinho in that sort of elite group mm. of super managers, I mean, is that the kind of way it's going to pan out I think possibly I think long term I mean obviously it'd be, it'd be fantastic if we can kind of actually just build something around Eddie Howe and and go from there because I think that actually would, would be 
a really good way of doing it, I think. Um, but I, I think it, it possibly, I think he is maybe kind of, by the ownership, I, I wonder if he is maybe kind of being viewed a bit as a sort of stepping stone to that sort of, as you say, that kind of more elite tier of manager, which if if the long-term plan is for us to become a sort of new Man City, PSG, Super Club type entity, then I think I think that's what they'll be hoping for. But I think because of the situation we were in and the fact that there is going to be such, whether we stay up or not, there's going to be such a rebuild required throughout the club and especially in that squad. I think there was always going to be like some sort of like intermediary, like certainly like a higher level than Steve Bruce, I think. But yeah, that sort of intermediary manager who all kind of, they'll probably, they'll do, he'll do the hard work of that rebuild. And then when things maybe slightly go go wrong, they'll then they'll get rid. But then they'll probably be looking to get, yeah, I said maybe a Conte, depending on what happens at Tottenham or, or that, or probably a Mourinho, to be honest, yeah. even though I think he's a bit of a busted flush, but he's probably still got enough clout that, if Hal can tough it out for a couple more years, there'll be another German elite coach. Oh, hello, you was it? Oh, there's no one that into the room behind me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we give a couple of years, it'll be the next generation come through. Because I think people are running out of elite coaches to target. At the moment. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who Man United go for now that Conte has been snapped up by Tottenham. Right? Which, if they'd have just made this move a couple of weeks earlier. They could have had Conte, who I think is, is one of the best managers in the world at the moment, and one of the few managers yeah. within that elite bracket who, who was actually available. I have no idea who you they think, might go for. Now. You think it's going to be Rodgers? I think they <laughs> I think they might try and poach Brendan Rodgers because I I don't know who else is actually who, who who they might go for who isn't already currently in a job. He is in a job though. That's, that's well, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is that I think they might have to go for someone who's in a job. Zidane. Well, that, Zidane, I think, is the only one who who maybe isn't currently in work. I have my reservations, which I know is crazy to say, because he won like three Champions Leagues in three or four years at Real Madrid. But I, I have my reservations as to how whether he can really replicate that anywhere else. I think it was a bit of a perfect storm for, for him. Well, I think with Madrid, you know, he has a, an elite squad that had fallen out with a certain manager whose name may already have come up in the course of this conversation. <laughs> uh, I think that's a very different proposition to trying to get Scott McTominay and Fred to close in midfield and get the ball forward. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think say it's um, they're very. It, it's Madrid it was his club. He's got that sort of legendary stellar status there. Whereas there seems to be a bit more dysfunction and a bit more work needed to put things right there. But you never know, that might be that might be the challenge he fancies. Mm. I don't think Dan put himself forward for the Norwich job, so he's clearly not that keen to go on the total rebuild. But uh, it, it probably will need something like that. And I suspect it probably will also come down to the... I mean, it's one of those things that um, is so easily overlooked, is the depth and the quality of the supporting coaching staff mm. is absolutely mm. And we saw it with Brentford when um, Thomas Frank took over, Brian Rima came in and just totally changed the defensive side of how we played. So, you know, the, and the, again, this is my great hope for Norwich, that under Dean Smith, we were very entertaining, but quite often conceded weak goals. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed, Norwich, you know, we're the greatest one in the world, Dean Smith can do that and make up one of those slots for us. Yeah. Um, you, when you've got those people who can make a big difference with that part of the game, then you... you you sort of, all the 
attention goes to the manager and the head coach and this type of stuff. But actually, it's the other people who make the sessions work, make the advancement in the players. That yeah, that's usually the thing that's a big difference between performing and not performing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's my hope. <laughs> No, she sat quietly in an armchair behind me. <laughs> That's no worries. She, she's considering how how uh, important that match was against Brentford and Newcastle. And well, Isla, what do you think? Do you think Brentford uh, deserved the draw, or do you think they deserved a win? What do you reckon? They both played better in the second half. Than the first half. They were better in the second half than the first half. Yeah. But I think the draw was about fair. Yeah. You didn't get to go to the game, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a lot of stairs to climb. <laughs> well, but uh, next year when the Helter Skelter's in, she'll love it. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, again, it, 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 I, see, I see no downside to this Helter Skelter. Again, there's just all those men who are going to be on that slide thinking that they're great. And women who probably aren't in the right state of mind. I think you, um, probably the first time in my earshot, dropped the F bomb during the Norwich game, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think Brentford are going to finish this season, Isla? Uh, I think you're going to finish above Newcastle. Yeah, I think I think this could be a turning point. Either. This might be back to winning ways now. You know, a lot of goals scored. Yeah, a lot of goals conceded. But played well, even with limited possession. Yeah, I think we really need a win in the Elton game coming up, don't we? Yeah. So, we'll go, and de- we'll go down there and demand a win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, thanks so much, guys, for being on the show. It's been, it's been lovely to have you and lovely to just have I think just have some more perspectives and some more voices on the podcast. Um, and not just me being negative. It's always been nice. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking to us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us and um, good luck to the season. Although, if you do want to take one of those three vacation slots, absolutely be my guest. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a good chance that we I think we'll definitely finish up with us this season. Hopefully, for your sake, that means that it'll still be above 18th. Um, <laughs> If we finish 20th and you finish 19th, that's no good. But Wait for a Southampton slide. Yeah. We're all, we're all, we always live in hope of a Southampton slide. <laughs> well, nice talking to you. Good luck. Enjoy January, at least. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, yeah, it's not something. Not a month we've had a lot of joy in last few years, so it'll be interesting, to say the least. I just want something to talk about during that lull in the season, just something other than, well, we've lost again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much again, guys. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a good day. (laughs) Yeah, thanks there to Chris and Iowa Scott, Brentford fans, Helter Skelter extraordinaires. That's going to be the new title, isn't it? Absolutely. Helter Skelter, blah, 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 that one. (laughs) That's your podcast title right there. (laughs) But yeah, in the news now this week, not a lot to go through, but just a couple of things somewhat related to Newcastle. Very much related to Newcastle. It's not related. It's literally about your own chairman. (laughs) 
Yeah, so, well, first of all, he was, he was Premier League chairman. Gary Hoffman is expected to resign after a backlash from the Premier League clubs regarding the Newcastle takeover. <laughs> to be honest, we don't have a lot to say on this one. I mean, this is supposedly due to their concerns over how the Saudis passed the owners and directors test. But, I mean, let's let's be perfectly clear. I think that's just a convenient excuse for them. And I think mainly this is really just due to their being general, terrified. General incompetence. It's not particularly this. This just seems to be like the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I just think that they're terrified of the Saudis' money and facing increased competition. If if we actually do start spending in the transfer market to bonus, and I, th- I think the human rights issues, whilst completely valid, any concerns over them might be. I think that's kind of being used as a little bit of a convenient excuse here, because I mean, let's face it. Again, They're there's not- lots of other yeah, exactly. questionable owners in the Premier League and throughout the football league. You know, other clubs haven't tended to kick up that much of a stink when they've been taken over, but when it's the Saudis and when they've got however many hundreds of billions of uh, pounds <laughs> available to them, suddenly they, they start finding their moral compass again. I'm not part of the big six. I mean, how dare other teams challenge their position in a competitive... What? I can't speak. <laughs> a competitive sport. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I said, really not a lot more to say on, on that front. And then in other Newcastle news, managing director Lee Charnley finally left the club after 22 years. Uh, the new ownership are going to appoint a new CEO, I imagine, in the coming weeks. Uh, Charnley, basically, he'd stayed around to sort of oversee the transition from Ashley to the new ownership. And again, I don't I don't really have much more to say on this beyond, don't, <laughs> don't let the hit, don't hit you on the way out, Lee. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> And everyone's favourite thing now, looking forward to the next match because we're all so excited. Yeah, it's Arsenal against Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, as we spoke to with Chris, I'm I'm not overly optimistic about this game. We do hope to have Martin Dubravka back in the starting lineup. fingers crossed, for the trip to the Emirates Stadium. But I'll be honest, I'm not sure how much it's going to really help us in this particular match, especially if we otherwise defend as we did against Brentford. Yeah, and I mean, the Gunners have, have improved significantly. I mean, they did have an extraordinarily poor start to the season. And this could now be quite a reverse of fortunes for Arsenal. They have been playing really, really well, and they're definitely going to be looking to capitalise on this. I mean, they did just get thrashed by Liverpool 4-0. And that, that in, in, in a weird way, that actually worries me a little because they're going to come out. Because they're going to be looking <laughs> for that response at home against a team that obviously they should be looking to beat. And actually, in a weird way, it actually makes me a little bit more worried about next week's game. Eddie Howe's still probably not going to be in the dugout if he tested positive for coronavirus on Friday night because if, if he's stuck in a 10-day thing, then obviously that'll last till next weekend anyway. And I think the main reason that I'm not optimistic, I mean, we talk a lot about Newcastle's record uh, against upcoming opponents, and I mean, let's let's be honest, listeners, they're, they're rarely positive. This but one it, is particularly good. It's <laughs> fair to say our record against Arsenal really takes the cake. Yeah, um, since 2012, we've played each other 18 times. Out of those 18 games, Newcastle have won a grand total of one of those matches. <laughs> 
I mean, you haven't even scored against Arsenal in their last six meetings, despite the fact that Arsenal have not been great at defending for those six years. Well, to be honest, Arsenal haven't been good at defending for, you could argue, about 14 years. But I wanted to go. That's, to that's, that's just the last six meetings, not the last six years. That's only the last couple of years. But let's face it, Arsenal have been pretty porous at the back for quite a long time. The fact that we, as you said, haven't even managed to get on the score sheet against them of late, not, not great. But actually, just to put our record against them since 2012 into further perspective, yes, we've only won one of those games, which is awful enough as it is. I mean, even against a team of Arsenal's calibre, you would expect to have won at least a small handful of those. But it's just in case you're thinking, well, maybe they got a few draws, listeners. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's played 18, won one, lost 17. Yeah, there isn't a middle ground. There, there is no middle ground. Ju- it's just, it's just not good. I mean, if well, in 2011 when we drew four all with Arsenal, that that famous game when we came back from four nil down at half time to draw four all. Let, let's let's not beat around the bush. This is one 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 of the most re- remarkable results I think in Premier League history. Certainly one of the most remarkable games in Premier League history and certainly beloved by Newcastle fans. And, even, though, and, even though they didn't win. Well, it's, it's not... It's a great... It was a great match. It's not often you can say that about a game where you're 4-0 down at half-time, but ultimately, and to be honest, actually we should have won because we hit the post when it was 4 all, and we should breathe, have won 5 Breathe, I can see the tension. <laughs> but if you told me then, all right, well, for the next decade, you're only going to actually go and beat Arsenal once. I mean, God the Lord... So, yeah, not too optimistic. It's going to be, let's, I mean, obviously, anything we get next week against them is going to be a bonus, but it's that it's the games after that. It's the game against Burnley. It's the game against Norwich. Those two teams directly above us in the table, they're going to be absolutely make or break for us because if we can't get wins in those games, and certainly if we lose either of those games, that's, that's going to be an enormous blow. So that's where really we're going to be looking for Eddie Howe to guide us to those, well, hopefully first two wins of the season, but I'll take one at this stage, just anything. But we're just going to have to wait and see. Aye, I look forward to that podcast. <laughs> In the meantime, though, if you could please give the podcast a like and subscribe and leave us a positive review, that would be absolutely fantastic. And again, until next time, this has been Magpies Unrestricted, and I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks, Cara. No problem, Thanks again to Chris and Iowa Scott. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.